Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, I've just got a little, little, little magic into, into the process here, reveal a little secret for our listeners we are. Recording slightly later than normal on Wednesday evening because uh, you were on Radio Five earlier, and I, I listened to you. You were very good as as always, as as you would be considering you are apparently the presenter of the Price of Football podcast. Which <laughs> even even Smudge looked up at me with a raised eyebrow, going, "Oh, that's, that's going to be awkward when you record the pod." <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I feel I feel Kieran for the presenter that you were talking to. As I say, you were full of insight, but he uh, he knows how I feel now on a weekly basis, Kieran, because he, he ended with a question that he clearly had spent the whole day thinking, this is a clever question, this might this might catch him out. And basically, no, the answer was, uh, I'm not quite sure we can get in out there, but uh, I don't agree with you. So you, could, you, could, you could almost hear his shoulders slumping, Kieran. Well done. Um, you were talking about Chelsea mainly. The transfer window closed mm. yesterday, Kieran. And I think we've all had enough uh, of Chelsea. I think we we all know now uh, what Chelsea were doing and how they're allowed to do it. It's interesting, as you mentioned on the on the show this evening, uh, that Graham Potter is almost nowhere to be seen in this scenario. But any other interesting angles, Kieran? One in particular that a few people have asked about is is Everton. Now, I, I wonder if your instinct is that the Everton not signing anybody is, is due to football reasons. People reluctant to go to a struggling club. Or is that due to possible financial fair play reasons? I, I don't think Everton have a financial fair play problem right. because they sold Richarlison and they made a significant profit there. In respect of Anthony Gordon, because he's an academy player, it's pure profit from an FFP perspective. Um, what did seem a bit strange is that having appointed a manager on Monday – the the huge Arctic Monkeys fan, uh, Sean Dyche, um, that you would have thought that given that he would have been interviewed for the job a week ago before and they were making their final decision. And I think people are well aware that uh, you know it was a choice between him and Bielsa. And uh, I think Bielsa's uh, suggestions were uh, quite left field. So he effectively dropped out. Um I, I would have been very surprised if Sean Dyche had not gone into those interviews. So, look, if I am appointed, we need to do X, Y, Z in terms of recruitment. Um, I've already done my research. You know, Sean Dyche is a very thorough individual. Indeed. He already looked at, at Everton, identified strengths and weaknesses, and no doubt come up with a few suggestions as to how those weaknesses could have been plugged. And then for Everton to do absolutely nothing on transfer deadline day, and, and they were linked with players. Um, does seem very strange. And um, if, if I look at Everton from a, a business management point of view and I try to take the football club, you know, just treat it as any other business, if you take a look at the success of any business, it comes down to three issues. First of all, does the business have resources? Well, Everton have. You know, Farhad Mashiri has been a very generous benefactor. Secondly, does the business have opportunities to progress? 
Um, well, again, yes, it does. It's it's in the Premier League. It's in a football city. Uh, it has a you know fifty thousand plus stadium, which is going to uh, drop in in a couple of years. Um, so you know those are opportunities which would make it an attractive proposition. And the, the third issue, and perhaps the one which is proving to be quite angsty from an Everton fan's point of view, is you then look at the quality of decision making. You know, and, and the reason why Apple is a success, the iPhone is a success, and the micro the Microsoft phone is not a success, comes down to the quality of decision making of senior management. Now, I don't know what it's like to run a football club. I I do know what it's like to to run a a business which has failed. And the 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 most common thing that I noted when running companies which had gone into administration tended to be the quality of of management and and their their ability or their lack of ability to to see icebergs in the distance and prevent them and steer uh, steer a different route and so on. So Everton, I think I think it is a cause for concern. The fans are very passionate. Um, I, I I share a corridor. I've, I've got I'm next to an office with uh, with an Everton fan, and uh, to make matters worse. Um, they, they've got their Everton calendar and they, they switched across from January to February and the February player of the month is Anthony Gordon. Uh-huh, so yeah. you can imagine the wailing and the gnashing of teeth uh, when, when when they saw that. And, and, and I tried to be collegiate. I tried to be supportive. I said, well, you know, it could be worse. It could be, a, it could be a leap year. You might have to go and look at Anthony Gordon for 29 days instead uh-huh. of 28. And they didn't, they didn't seem to think that was particularly supportive. You would have expected, Kieran, at least, because we, we know Sean Dyche. I've met him a few times. He's a really interesting, affable chap and, and very fascinating to talk about football. He has a certain way that he wants to play football and certain types of player. As you say, even even allowing for the fact that he joined the club almost within hours of the transfer window closing, you would imagine that he would have identified, even if they were ex-championship players, that he thought could do a job this season, a couple of dogs of war, which is, you know, the land the sort of language you, you think that he would be using, but but nothing at all. It's 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 very intriguing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have thought he would have you know, tried to get you know Ashley Barnes, Chris Woods yeah, yeah, yeah. type of players who will run through a brick wall for you. And you know, I'm making no accusations about lack of effort from individual Everton players because I, I I don't follow the club closely enough to, to to form a judgment, and ultimately, you know, we've already said, always said, we don't know that much about football. In fact, we know yeah. Yeah, we both we both had the, the the privilege of getting to know people in the football industry, and the more that I listen to them, the more I realise how completely clueless I am about the professional game from a, uh, a tactical, technical, physical perspective. But uh, yeah, there's. He he will have identified uh, players to recruit, and the fact that nothing has been done um, isn't isn't great. And of course, all the newspapers today, Kieran, had their their rundown of uh, who came in and who went out at each club, uh, and a couple had uh, the same thing for women's football. And I noticed, Kieran, I don't know if it's significant that only there was many many comings and goings in the women's game yesterday. The only one, the Jordan Nobbs moving to Villa for £40,000, that was the only one in which a fee was mentioned. All the other players were either loan or undisclosed sum. Is there any significance in that? Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's it's a case of, of benchmarking in relation to the women's game. And in in terms of the crowds, in terms of the revenues, I think I think we've got to benchmark perhaps against... League One and League Two clubs in in the main, and if if you take a look at clubs at that level, there are quite a few clubs in League Two, for example, where the cost of the whole squad is zero, um, right, because right. the the club has relied on academy players, loanees, free transfers, Bosmans, and so on. I mean, to be fair, Arsenal did try to break the the women's record fee, yeah, the world yeah, record yeah, fee, indeed. in respect of Russo and Manchester United. Um, turned down offers, and, and I think that we got fairly close to half a million pounds. Um, and uh, you know, for people who are being a bit sniffy about that, well, you, you, you and I both remember Alan Ball being the the record yeah. fee, 
Um, and that was, what, 200 grand. And that was yeah, 1970, 71, something like that. So um, there, there, there is greater interest. But the, the women's game is running at a loss. And under those circumstances, given that many of the men's teams are running at a loss as well, it's actually very difficult for the women's team manager to go to a chief executive who is themselves under huge pressure from the fan base, potentially from the owner, has got the, the men's team manager chipping in the ear as well, and, and try to get deals which are going to cost money because there will be a perception, rightly or wrongly, that if you announce a 100000 or £200,000 deal for a, a women's team player, that that money should have been spent on the men's team. Uh, now, it's not something that I agree with, but you can understand from a section of the fan base who might be quite vociferous that if they see money being spent on transfers in the women's side of the game, they, in my opinion, wrongly think that 99% of the, the chief executive's attention should be on the men's game. And, and, and given that if the men's team is relegated from the Premier League to the Championship, that can have huge repercussions for all of the budget of the club. And one of the first things that tends to get hit is the women's team's budget. So it, I, I don't think it's it, we should read too much into it, but it, I think it is indicative the women's game on a national basis is absolutely brilliant. We'll be coming to that in one of the stories a bit later. But um, at the, the WSL level and at the WSL championship level, it is still running at a loss. And therefore, there's a lot of caution in, in terms of the ability to pay, pay fees for individual players. Uh, now, Kieran, apart from your boy Kukurea at Brighton, proving what we all suspected, that he was 100% committed to his favourite club, all along. Is there anything else in the transfer window that caught your imagination? Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, the fact that it, it was record spending, um, some, you know, some people are surprised. They're saying, you know, ha, we, we've got this economic paradox in that, uh, you know, it, it's been uh, it's, it's been predicted that the UK will have the, the worst performing economy of any uh, of any you know, developed nation uh, over the course of the next 12 months. And yet the Premier League appears to be in its own little world and the Premier League is outperforming the rest of European football. Um, and, and the reason for that, and, and you know, whenever, you, whenever you're looking for changes in numbers or changes in figures, you, sh- you should always try to identify drivers. And in terms of drivers... Uh, you know the the fact that that Bournemouth signed two players for fifty million pounds on transfer deadline day, and, th- and this is not disrespecting Bournemouth uh, at all. But people going Bournemouth, yeah, yeah they yeah. spent more money than AC Milan. Yeah. They spent more money than such a club. And they, well, they've got new owners. So if, if we're looking for for the reasons for the the, the incredible level of spending, it's up ninety percent compared to last January. I think that there are three drivers. First of all, at the top of the Premier League. In historically, six into four never went. Seven into four with Newcastle into the equation makes it more difficult. The fact that two of the clubs who you would expect to be competing for a top four place in the form of Chelsea and Liverpool are currently languishing in ninth and tenth um, means that they they need to spend money in order to get into Europe. Secondly, we then look at the bottom of the Premier League. We've got seven clubs within three points so the incentive to spend, you know, but why? We've seen Bournemouth spend. We've seen Forest spend. We've seen Leeds spend. We've seen Leicester spend. We've seen everybody spend except Everton. And, and this is this is the cause for concern um, is because you know, managers will put pressure on to executives and directors of football. We sign this one player. They get that one extra goal. They give us that one extra point that helps us to avoid relegation. You know, that that's that's that but that accelerate spending at the top at the bottom of the division and then we've got three new owners of clubs in Newcastle um in Bournemouth um and and elsewhere um and all of a sudden you know these manage these owners want to spend money you know, you know Chelsea of course as well are in that mix and and you put all those three together and and that means you get that this sort of this this whirlpool of desire to spending money um is it sustainable well based on my calculations 
the Premier League, the, the 20 clubs between them, now owe a collective £2 billion in outstanding instalments on transfer fees. So it, it's a bit like your credit card company perhaps giving you a, a higher spending limit um, and in the terms of the Premier League, it looks like they've got pretty close to that spending limit. But you know, the whole nature about spending limits is that they are limits, and, and it doesn't tend to be sustainable in the long term. So I, I don't expect this level of expenditure to be repeated next January. And I think we could see some of the clubs that have been very active in the January window having to, to slow down their activity or operate a sell-to-buy policy when it comes to the summer window. Mm. A higher spending limit on a credit card, you say? That's an interesting concept. I'm just going to write that <laughs> down. Uh, and well done for not rising to my uh, Brighton bait, by the way. I had, I had an image of uh, you and the Baroness poised over Sky Sports last night with finger and thumb around the champagne cork, ready to go when you realised he was staying. As we always knew, Kim, he's, he loves that club. He'll be there for 10 years. Um, the Premier League being, and he's still not rising to it. That's excellent. I gave you a second opportunity to rise to it, and you refused. That's good supporting. Um, talking of the Premier League being its own little world, we, you and I have, have predicted for several months now that possibly clubs and leagues may be getting wary of the whole crypto thing, but the uh, Premier League, uh, the opposite this week. Yes, the um, the Premier League has signed a licensing deal, um, and, and I'm still not sure whether it's Sorare or I think of it as so rare. So do I, but we were we were we were told by many people that it is absolutely Sorare. Oh, okay, think, fair enough. Then. I think um, we probably assumed it was so rare because it's so it's so rare for them to be any good. <laughs> move on, <laughs> move on, move, move on. <laughs> Um, so a deal's been signed between Sorare and the Premier League. Now, I think it's estimated to be in the region of 30 to £40 million pounds, uh, for a year. Um, I think that that will be split evenly between the clubs. Um, so Sorare is a five-a-side fantasy football game. Um, and actually, that, that sounds quite appealing. You know, I, yeah. I, I enjoy a bit of fantasy football. Um so, so yeah, you know, so far so good, and it is free to play. Even better, yeah. You know, where, where's the downside? Well, I signed up for Sorare, and I ended up, and, and this is no, no, um, no disrespect to any of my the players that I was allocated. I've got a South Korean central midfielder, uh, a goalkeeper from Paraguay, um, <laughs> a centre half from Mozambique, <laughs> and so on. And I'm going. I'm not. I'm not getting a lot of feeling of love. You know, I'm. I'm not. I'm not bonding with these players. Um, so, so what you can do, and and these players are sometimes what we refer to as sort of your standard players. And you think, well, okay, well, how is how is uh, Sorare going to make money? And and the, and the way that it works is that there are different classifications of players. So there are common, rare, so rare, and unique. Um, and I think uh, if, if you at the at the rare level, um, I think there's a thousand there's a thousand cards where you get uh, you get you effectively get your digital card of which you have ownership. And yeah, and we've we've given the analogy, and we won't. Yeah, you know, this is a family show, so um, it's it's yeah. You know, I've I've said it's the equivalent of. Um, having having a wedding certificate and and somebody allowed to to have relations with your wife and or or husband and you saying well that's fine because i've still got the certificate and it's exactly the same with these cards people can copy these cards people can print these off people can stick them on websites but you've got the digital receipt and that allows you to sell the digital receipt so it's not actually the players that are, are worth money it's the fact that you have got ownership via uh, of an image via a receipt um so if we, if we take a look at Haaland, there are a hundred of the, the 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 rare level and if you want to go and buy this card 
this digital card, which anybody in the whole world can print off from their computer, it's going to cost you £1,863. What? If you want the unique one, which is exactly the same photograph of Harland, um, but it's got the word unique around the perimeter, and I think it's got a gold or – I'm colorblind, so I'm the worst person to ask – but around the perimeter of the photograph, instead of having a, a red background, it's got a yellow background or a silver background or something like that, um, it, it will cost you, you know, potentially – Hundreds of thousands. Yes, the, the most rare cards um, are, are priced at, at ridiculous levels. And the the way that you can buy them, I, th- I think you can buy them for traditional money, but you can also buy them using cryptocurrency. So you can. I think it's called uh, yeah, it's called ETH, which I don't think stands for Eric Ten Hag. Uh, mm. It's something called uh, Ethereum or something like that. Mm. Um, and and what Sorari have done is they've created artificial scarcity yeah by saying that there's only one unique manchester city harland 22 23 card and if he's playing in your fibers your your fantasy fiver side teams then you know every time he touches the ball he gets points every time he scores a goal he gets points and you know let's face it he's erling harland he, he's the player that everybody wants um so so that's that's how they make their money um and they say it, it's not like other forms of fan tokens or non-fungible tokens because they offer greater and, and this is this is one of their this is one of their buzzwords which I've never really managed to dig deep in. They say, oh, we've got more utility in our cards, and and then you say, well, well, what exactly do you mean by that? And sort of when you it's 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 things like oh, you you get a chance to go and. You know, perhaps you get a chance to meet a player at a training session, or you might get invited into the Sorari uh, hospitality box at a ground if, uh, if if your card is chosen. Or, or, um, or Kieran, you could you could print it off and use it as a rudimentary shovel, or <laughs> yeah. or print it off and put it underneath a budgie cage. Who knows? Could be that sort of utility. <laughs> That's in, that indeed is true, and perhaps it might be of more benefit to society. Um, for for those particular purposes, and I'm thinking, well, isn't this the equivalent of you? Know, you you and I are old old enough to remember the halftime draw, yeah, at, at grounds, uh, and you buy one, and uh, quite often the, the clubs wouldn't necessarily even give cash prizes. It would be you know next chance, you know, at the next match you get you, you sit in the director's box, or or you are invited to a training session, or or you know at the next uh, team photograph you get an opportunity to stand next to the manager in the club photograph. Yeah, you know, I've I've seen all of this stuff uh, over the years, um, and that's what Sorare are offering from the club's point of view. Uh, I'm trying to be as even-handed as I can here. If if you're a club like Liverpool or Manchester United or Chelsea, you've you've got hundreds of millions of fans all around the world. Um, This is a way of, again, buzzword, engaging with your fan base. Mm -hmm. Another word for engaging is relieving your fan base of cash. Um, And and if they want to do that, then fine. And there is the opportunity to play this game for nothing, but you will get very, very bored very, very quickly if you you buy the – or rather if you you just enter it because uh, it's it's very difficult to make progress. Um, So so that's where the the Premier League are. I think there is an investigation by the Gambling Commission to try to determine whether or not this is gambling because – the, the value of the players being bought and sold, and, and, and you can sell your cards, uh, to a certain extent is dependent upon their performance and their perceived value and so on. Well, you know, that, that effectively is, is putting value on the basis of an uncertain future event. Well, what is gambling? It's putting money into an uncertain future event, you know, be it the spin of the wheel, the, the speed of a racehorse, the numbers that come up on a lottery ticket and so on. And therefore, should there be some greater uh, scrutiny? Should there be greater systems of checks and balances? Uh, there are some very uh, high-profile, wealthy people involved in sport who are in these schemes um, and you know, my concern would be you know, if I wanted to incentivize a well-known football player uh, to, to join the scheme, first of all, I'd say, yeah, can you go and put this out on your social media account? And by the way, I'll promise you uh, a unique card of yourself and you'll be able to sell that at a, few, at a huge amount of uh, money to, to some mug. Um, and, and that's where I start to feel uncomfortable because it's all propped up 
by the bigger fall theory that there will be somebody elsewhere in the world is that if you've paid £1,863 for an Erling Haaland rare card, that somebody will be willing to pay £1,864 for the, for your receipt. And, and that ultimately is what you're buying and selling. Uh, two quick things, Kieran, before I ask you a question off the back of this. First of all, your wedding certificate analogy is almost indescribably far from the actual description you originally gave me. Um, <laughs> and I can only suggest that people come along to one of our live shows if they want to hear what the actual comparison is. Uh, secondly, I'm almost glad that my father-in-law isn't living in this world because he would be absolutely furious to learn that Serrari have more than one unique trading card. If it's unique, there's only one of them. So let's but let's leave that there. Um, secondly, the other the question though, Kieran, is do we know how much this licensing deal is? Is any money made from it spread evenly between the twenty clubs in the Premier League? What's in it for them, basically? Um, I, I, I think it will work out uh, as as two million pounds per club if, if per the quoted club, okay. figure of forty right, million. Right. Um, the the way that the Premier League operates is that. Uh, in terms of the broadcasting deal, as, as we're where effectively 50%, 50% is split evenly, 25% is split on the number of times you're chosen for live broadcast, 25% is, is given uh, in terms of your final league position. And then um, the, the Premier League has another pot, which is called sort of you know, central, uh, central promotions, um, where any sponsorship of the Premier League, you know, the Premier League now has its its own you know bank sponsor and so on. All of that goes into a pot which is spread evenly. Now, I'm sure certain clubs would like to get a disproportionate amount of that, but at present, uh, in order for that to be achieved, they would need 14 votes, um, and, and there doesn't appear to be an appetite for it. Mm. Um, and, and that and that's good. I mean, that helps to. Comp- yeah, that helps to support the the, the less rich from the ultra rich, um, and hopefully this will be one of the things which would be uh, you know supported by uh, the independent regulator of football should one ever come about. <laughs> that gives me uh, a moment, Kieran, to plug uh, an interview which we have for everybody coming out on Friday with uh, Tony Taylor, who's a trustee of Level Playing Field. Uh, a charity advocating for the rights of disabled football fans and sports fans. Um, the reason I mention it is that five minutes into the interview, he he talks about his relationship with Tracy Crouch. And I oh I just thanked God you weren't able to do the interview, Kieran, because I think there would have been coats off, hold my pint from you. Because <laughs> And I said, did Tracy mention Kieran? I said, I'm amazed that Tracy had the time to even talk to you. Did she mention Kieran? Did she show you her Kieran Maguire tattoo? Um, so that interview, and it's a really, really fascinating interview. I learned, uh, I think you and I have both learned a lot more, Kieran, in the last couple of weeks about the the economic and physical realities of being a disabled fan. So I would really recommend you listen to that interview, which will be dropping, I believe, producer guy says, tomorrow. And we have two stories from Italy now, Kieran. I'm going mm. to save the Andrea Agnelli one to give you a bit of time to compose yourself and wipe the smile off your face, because I know it's... It's it's what it's you're really pleased about, um, but it, it it we learned this week that it's not just the Premier League that have got a bit of extra money coming their way. Yes, um, this this has not yet been set in stone, right? But it does appear that there has been a proposal. There's been a presentation from uh, J.P. Morgan, the the U.S. investment bank, who who are also the people who are willing to fund Super League, yeah, um, to. To give uh, Serie A somewhere between 700 million uh, and 1 billion euro for a share of future broadcast rights. Um, now, it, Italian football, you know, it, it has, it is going through a bit of a scandal at present. Um, I think there are, there are systemic problems. Um, there are structural problems with the game, a lack of investment in infrastructure. The, the broadcasting deal is uh, not showing signs of growth. It's certainly not being uh, internationalised to the level where it perhaps could be. Uh, at the same time, yeah, we've, we've got Napoli having a fantastic season, yeah. um, and, and it's good to see a different club at the top of Syria. Um, 
But in, in respect of this, the way that it would work is that uh, presumably JP Morgan or, who, or whoever is going to be the ultimate benefactor here gives that Syria uh, a, a large sum of money, which is then split probably evenly between the, the individual clubs. And on the back of that, um, JP Morgan or the, the other party would then take a percentage of future TV deals. So you know, there are certain parallels with the payday loan here, although I think the difference with the payday loan is that we don't know how big those TV deals yeah. are going to be in the future. So therefore, the bank is taking on an element of risk. Now, if people think, well, this is great, this is a good quick fix for Italian football, I would point them in the direction of rugby union uh, in terms of the clubs in the premiership in rugby union here in here in England. And I know you're not a rugby fan, but I think the, the financial analogies are, are interesting to, to be concerned about. Um, there, there's a, there's a, there's an, there's, an, there's an private investing fund called CVC, and um, they gave the the clubs in the Aviva Premiership uh, around about £12 million each. And this was, I think, in 2019. And this was described as a new era for rugby. Yeah. And everybody got very excited because, oh, you've got £12 million. Yeah, happy days. Uh, and CVC, oh, so, yeah, by the way, uh, uh, we're, we're taking 20% of your TV deal. We're taking 27% of your money going forwards. And they go, yeah, yes, okay. So look, yeah, we've just got 12 million pounds. We don't really care. And then, of course, you know, within a couple of years, we've got Wasps Rugby Club in administration. We've got Worcester Warriors Rugby Club in administration, yeah. both effectively being chucked out of the league. We don't know what the future of those clubs is going to be. Um, I think CVC uh, have done something similar with the Six Nations, um, I think the Six Nations are probably in a slightly uh, more robust financial position. But th this would be my, my cause for concern, is that if you – the Italian football generates around about half the amount of money as the Premier League in terms of broadcast deals. And, yes, it's nice to get – it's always nice to get money. I'm not, not denying that. But if you then say, oh, by the way – when you're only going to get 80% of the TV deal for the next 20, 30 years. So, yeah, no, nobody, nobody knows the, the full details. Then that gap with the Premier League, you find, actually gets bigger and bigger and bigger because whoever the bank happens to be in terms of this deal, they're the people that have done their sums. And if there's one thing about I know about bankers is that when they are on a deal, they are on the, on the winning side every single time. So um, you know, unless you really do check the small print, uh, I, I think there's a danger of a, a short-term gain here for Italian football. That's if it goes ahead. Yeah, we don't know whether it will or not. Um, followed by a, a period of long-term reflection. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a bit like, uh, you know, as you know, I don't drink, but I do have friends that have yeah, gone out, had a few sherbets, gone to a late night tattoo parlour, and then I don't, I don't remember uh, a woman called Mary, but I've got her on my arm for the next 40 years. Yeah, yeah. I, well, similar circumstances in which a mate of mine uh, bought a greyhound, uh, <laughs> which is still being reminded of on a regular basis. It's, it's, Kieran, it's not that I'm not a fan of rugby as such. It's just I, I prefer a game when you can see the ball occasionally, basically. Not, of course, that it is a ball, which we've ascertained over many years on this podcast. We have indeed. Our, our, our second story in Italy, Kieran, I'm, I'm just going to say the words... Uh, Agnelli, uh, possible legal action, and UEFA let you chuckle for a second or two, and then we'll come back and move on with the rest of the pod. <laughs> yes, um, Mr. Agnelli, the, um, the the former the former chair, the former board member of uh, Juventus, who is who is uh, presently just started a two year ban from Italian football um, on charges related to false accounting, market manipulation, and filing misleading financial statements. All of which, of course, he will dismiss with a with a with a cheeky smile and say, "No, it wasn't me, Gov." Um, he now appears to be on UEFA's naughty step as well for potential breach of contract because during the period where the allegations have been made against Juventus, and remember, Juventus are appealing this particular set of uh, rules, um, he was on the executive committee of UEFA, and he signed a contract in terms of his behaviour 
um, which would not cause any financial damage to UEFA. Well, I think it could be argued that if Juventus have suffered financial damage, then indirectly UEFA have suffered financial damage. And therefore, he could be up on uh, additional charges from UEFA. Now, it's well known that uh, Alex uh, Severin, who is the the, uh, the president of UEFA, uh, of whom uh, Andrea Agnelli was the, the godfather to, to Seferin's, uh, I think got Seferin's daughter, who, the daughter who subsequently described Agnelli as a snake, um, uh, would be absolutely delighted if this, this took place. I, I would always urge uh, an element of caution because, you know, when it comes to revenge, um, I, I, I am quite a vengeful person. Uh, I do bear a grudge. I've, I've still not forgiven my my economics teacher at A level. I was so dull. I mean, if, you think, if people think I'm dull now, because all I talk about is is amortisation. I was so dull at school that uh, there were some scholarships for economics students. And the teacher went round every single person in the class said, well, I'm thinking you should be good for the Scottish. And when he got to me, because he, because I'm so boring, he couldn't remember my name. So he just skipped me and went on to the next person. <laughs> and I, I've never forgiven. And, and still, I go, I'm the only person that got grade A in economics in our school that year. And you're the, I'm the only person that wasn't given a potential scholarship. And, and I've still not forgiven uh, uh, Ray Parkinson um, for, for for forget for, well no not forgetting my name he didn't even know my name I was just that bold boring so so I am I am a vengeful person um, but in, in the case of Agnelli I I would just take it carefully uh, and get your eyes dotted and your t's crossed before making uh, any uh, any claims against him because uh, yeah you, you you get one chance to get it right in law and uh, I, I would. Uh, to quote Kevin Keane, I would love it if uh, if uh, he was uh, he, he was up before the beak, but only if, if you've got a watertight case. Kieran, when you were on that beach in Trinidad, out there working, or when you were living up in those Moscow nightclubs, were you really thinking, curse you, Ray Parkinson, because I've been marking essays in Colchester now? <laughs> uh, uh, if it's any consolation, Kieran, uh, in uh, 1971, uh, at primary school, uh, our class was offered tickets to go and see a Tutankhamun exhibition, but we, we had 31 children in the class and only 30 tickets. Uh, I was the only one in the class with any remote interest in history and was really excited about this. But they did a little draw because they were harsher times, Kieran, and um, I was the kid that didn't get to go and see Tutankhamun. Well, oh, no. well 30 other uninterested 10-year-olds were... were Laughing it up at the British Museum, I was, I was, I was, I still haven't quite got over that. And do you know who I blame? Tutankhamun. I take <laughs> it's, it's my my dad, God rest him, loved ancient Egypt. But I, I, every time he put something on about ancient Egypt, I said, right, we're turning this off. I'm taking Channel Five off you because it's all Tutankhamun, basically. <laughs> This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Chelsea may not be short of players, Kieran, but they are uh, short of sponsors for next season. Yes. Um, in, in terms of the, the two main sponsors, which is the front of shirt deal and the sleeve deal, um, I, I think we, we, we covered in December that Whalefin, who are this, uh, yeah, yeah. this crypto platform, um, have got rid of the vast majority of their staff, it would appear, uh, appear to be financially struggling. And they signed what, what at the time was believed to be a, a record deal with, with Chelsea. Somewhere it's, it's estimated to be £20 million. Um, and, and they've said, right, we want to terminate that after one year. And three, who are the front of shirt deal sponsor, uh, their deal ends in June 23. Now, this could be an opportunity for Chelsea. Um if, if they are still 10th at the end of this season, I think it will be more difficult to get maximum value um, from uh, from a sponsor uh, because sponsors are looking for uh, global participation in, in big tournaments and uh, you know they'd have to wait at least another 12 months for that to come through. But it, I think it, it does indicate that the fact that they've not mentioned the new sponsors yet um that uh you know these these things take time i'm not i'm not uh i'm not denying that and, and that's another reference to a smith song title for those of you ticking off the box um <laughs> that it, it may uh it, it may be more of a struggle and there's a case for saying have we have we peaked in terms of front of shirt sponsorship deals certainly in the case of manchester united the team viewer deal is, is thought to be worth less money than that of chevrolet team viewer have walked away from that deal as well um if if the clubs are not delivering in terms of trophies and, and you know remember chelsea uh won the the champions league in 2021 they are still i think the world club champions yeah, so yeah, yeah they they do have a a lot of appeal potentially uh but nothing is guaranteed in the world of sponsorship I think a lot of our listeners, Kieran, would be surprised a little bit like me that even a club with the the glamour and the cachet of Chelsea are still going to have to accept a discount if they're not in uh, the Champions League or Europe. It seems a bit odd. You'd like to think they're almost um, one of those brands that were untouchable in a way. Well, it, it all comes down to eyeballs. and Simple as that. Uh, right. okay. You know, as you know, a Tuesday or Wednesday night when you're hosting you know, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, you know, PSG or, or, you know, and I can still remember when Chelsea played Liverpool in the Champions League, those, those two league games, that, that was box office, um, yeah, not yeah. just here in the UK, but around the world. And, uh, that, that's what the sponsors are looking for because th- these matches are going to the US. They are going to the Asian market, and they are going to the African market as as well as as as, as domestic. And and they deliver fantastic viewing figures for broadcasters. This next story is a slightly odd one, Kieran. In that I was aware that the Northampton Town Supporters Trust uh, were trying to bid for the land at Sixfields, and I was aware that they may have somebody helping them. Um, and we now have discovered who that somebody was. That mystery partner, haven't we? Yes, this is. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, the story of Northampton Town is is a very sad one. You know, we know that uh, there was money allocated for redevelopment of the grounds. I think we're talking around about ten million pounds, and that money was not spent. Yeah. And what happened to it is proving to be uh, an, an interesting exercise for uh, some of uh, some of Uncle Terry's least favourite friends. 
uh, we should say. Um, but uh, there was an offer made to uh, acquire 21 acres of land next to six fields by a company called uh, Kildara. And this is a company which was it's only set up in 2019, but does appear to have you know, quite a few assets. Um, and they, they bid £3 million for the land. And it looked like it was going to go ahead. And then the council said no. Subsequently, the football club bid £2 million for the land. And the council said yes. So Kildara said, well, hold on, you know, this isn't in the best interests of, of of local taxpayers. So they amounted some form of legal challenge. And then the Northampton Town Trust came into view and they said, oh, uh, here's, a, here's sort of a compromise. We'll bid £3 million for the land. And that, that would appear you know, everybody wins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, it, and, that has, and you go, hold on, where, where's, where's the trust got £3 million quid from? Yeah. And it subsequently appears that uh, this company, Kildara, was via another related party or associated party, appeared to be uh, providing the trust with with the three million pounds. The, the council sort of began to smell a bit of a rat here, um, and the, the the supporters' trust withdrew their offer. They said, "Oh, there's too many conditions." Um, being set by the council, yeah, we we didn't realise, and it looks like they went, they did a bit of a reverse ferret, and now the fans groups who are sort of independent of the trust are going, hold on, you know, we thought the trust were doing everything in the best interest of the fan base, um, so it now appears that uh, I think this is a fairly unusual situation that uh, I, I was talking to uh, or contacting by a mutual friend of ours who I'll mention to you after the show, um, who said, well, the position is now the fans will be protesting against their own supporters' trust oh, wow. at the okay. next home game. Right. Such is the level of letdown and distrust that uh, a certain section of the fan base uh, feel. Um, you know, my My advice in all of these things is, Communication, communication, communication. You know, build build barriers. Don't break them down. Find common ground. Um, but it could be that that some people might need to move on from their positions if if there has been a uh, a breach of of confidence in terms of uh, the fan base and the trust. So it. It, it's it's sad because I don't think we've ever had a, a good story in relation to Northampton Town, no, um, and it it again it's it's further evidence that uh, and, yeah, and we you know, as always said if you're a Northampton Town football supporter you are as dedicated you you love your club just as much as that of a, a fan of Barcelona or Manchester United mm. or or Bayern Munich or you know it just happens to be it's your town it's your identity it's your club it's your history it's your heritage it's your memories um so you know that they've they've not had good news in relation to the development of the stadium now for for quite a few years and this appears to be yet another setback it's also unusual Kieran rare in fact to hear a, a story about supporters trust with negative Connotations. I mean, we we quite often discuss the fact that you know, they have difficulty financing uh, bids for clubs. But normally, there's a, a, a I hesitate to use the word trust, but there is normally a degree of trust and support between fans and the supporters' trust because both sides recognise that they are the people who go to games home and away, aren't they? Yes, yes. So you know, the I think as always, the devil's in the detail. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't want to prejudge anything here, but it, it it doesn't sound too clever. I think there is that there has been perhaps uh, opportunities to be more transparent haven't necessarily been seized, and and uh, people have lost out as a result. Yeah, I suspect we're going to get tweets on this one, Kieran, from all sides of the story, uh, mm. as indeed we got. Uh, in relation to my geographical knowledge, which for some reason, Kieran, people listening to this pod seem to think is lacking. In, in certain places, but I can confidently say that this story takes us to the northeast, and a, a legendary non-league club in the northeast, Blythe Spartans, um, the nursery club for many uh, first division and Premier League football uh, over the years. Um, but some bad news for them in their latest financial year, or is it bad news, Kieran? Um, 
I, I, I think it's it, it's indicative of non-league football where we, we tend to think, oh, well, clubs must break even uh, at that particular tier. So, so Blythe Spartans, they're in the National League North. They're, I'll be honest, they're not having a great season. Mm. They're, they're 23rd. Um, it's uh, it's where Dan Byrne comes from. And you know, regardless of which football team you support, I think Dan Byrne's one of those footballers who intuitively you just want to like yeah, because I, he, I, he does play with a smile on his yeah, face. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll contradict you there, Kieran. Uh, where he's at now, yes, I quite agree. Yeah, his <laughs> previous club, less so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can understand if, if there's a if there's a rivalry involved, and and I love the fact that you know Dan Byrne, big lad, yeah. very big lad. Uh, he drives a smart car. You know those little <laughs> those two seat folder ones. Um, so so it goes up in my estimation for that. But he's from Blythe Spartans, and I think that's part of the reason why he has achieved cult hero status in Newcastle course, yeah, because. Yeah. Uh, He's he he's the personification of of every Geordie's dream. Yeah, you know, good player, he's worked his way. Yeah, he's a good he's a good player as well. Let's be fair. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And and people think, oh, he can't. You know, all he can do is head the ball. Um, uh, he, he's he's got far more to his game than that. Um, but yeah, they they, they lost a hundred grand in a year, and th- this is a club at the sixth tier of English football. And I think this this shows that the running costs in football are high and and have got higher. Over the course of the the last year, uh, you know, Blythe Spartans. It's a, it, we, we confidently can say it is in the northeast, yep. um, but you know, they they've got to they've got to travel fair distances uh, because uh, ah, you know, the north yeah, is pretty big, yeah. and they're, they're at a, you know they're at sort of an apex of of, of the north, as it were. Um, then you've got you know heating and lighting costs and floodlight costs and maintenance of the ground and so on. And, and I think it just is indicative of regardless of of the the position of the club in in, in non league football, unless you've got somebody willing to effectively underwrite significant amounts of money, uh, it, it's it's a really tough gig. Yeah. Um, this next one, Kieran, this story from France, I. I'm actually really looking forward to hearing what the outcome of this is because I, I did a double take with them uh, when when Guy sent it through to me. It's a story about Reims and their manager. Yes. Um, every time that Reims Football Club, who are in Ligue 1, uh, every time that they play a match, um, they are fined €27,000. And the reason for this is their manager... Will Still. And Will Still is a fantastic success story. He's only 30 years old. He he started getting into football management by playing the video game Football Manager. And remember, right. yeah, we've had Miles from Football Manager on the show. And you know, it, it is a it is a fascinating product. Uh, and as you know, I, I am presently banned from playing it by the Baroness on the grounds that uh, having spoken to every single media organisation on the planet uh, <laughs> over the course of the last 48 hours trying to explain amortisation. Um, if, if, if she said, if you think you're going to go, and, yeah, because no, normally I say, I, I need to relax now, darling. Yeah, I, I, I need to, I, I need, yeah, I've, I've just been, I've just been talking to, uh, you know, uh, New Zealand's third largest radio station. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I need a celebrity come down by playing football manager. And she says, no, no, you're not doing that. Um, um, so he he started his managerial career, and this, this is sort of part of this sort of this sort of restores your love of the romance. He started with Preston under fourteens. He's 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 been been prepared to move, and he was the assistant manager to Oscar Garcia, the the former manager of Brighton Hove Albion, who was sacked on the thirteenth of October. Right. Now, initially, Reem said, "Can you be an interim manager until we recruit somebody?" Uh, well, Will went straight into the, his interim role, and they won the next five games. So Reem said, "Fantastic! We'd like you to be our manager on a full-time basis." But he hadn't had the the, the time or the opportunity to get his pro license. And in French football, in order ah, to be a first team okay. manager, you need a certain level of qualifications. And and part of me thinks that's absolutely fantastic because um, you know it, it is. A professional role, and therefore there should be a, uh, you know, a, a level of professional uh, qualification yeah, required, yeah. Um, and, and and that that protects clubs. That that protect you know because otherwise you end up with the club owner saying, 
I'll be the manager or one of my kids will be the manager and and, and a club which is the heartbeat of the, you know of so many people's lives just just goes down the toilet because it's it's treated in a bad way um so he, he's now working at his pro license but uh, every every match until uh, he achieves that uh, that ambition uh, they're going to have to go and pay a not inconsiderable sum i think it's 27000 euro um, and uh, I just wish him all the best. And, and you know, he's only thirty years old. It would be, uh, you know, I would just say all the best for the rest of your career because it, it's it's a great goodwill story. Um, somebody that's had had an opportunity, taken that opportunity um, at such a young age. Somebody that's been willing to to go overseas as well to to uh, to acquire yeah, and broaden their skill set. Um, and uh, you know, sometimes we can be a bit parochial. Um, I, th- I think Will is has got dual British and Belgian citizenship and and, uh, 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 and heritage and so on. But uh, yeah, just good luck to the lad. Uh, is his name Will Steele or Will Steele? Still, still, as in Steel, not moving. Well, oh, that's going to be confusing. Uh, uh, a very good friend of mine, a very good writer, is, is his name is Will In, which oh, uh, it, it must be a really annoying thing because twenty five years later we. It, it still makes us laugh. Are you willing? Yes. <laughs> Bless him. Anyway, uh, the last two stories, Kieran, um, are about women's football, and they're both yep. good in their in their own way. I think. Um, and the first one is about the opening game of the twenty twenty three Women's World Cup, which is uh, approaching to everybody's excitement. Yes, yes. So uh, the the FIFA twenty twenty three World Cup is is taking place in Australia. Yeah. Um, the the inaugural match um, that they. They they put tickets up for sale. Um, the the stadium uh, held holds uh, just over forty thousand people, and it sold out. It sold out practically straight away. Right. So what they're now having to do is to shift. Uh, I think they're shifting it to Sydney, and it's going to go in an eighty five thousand capacity stadium. It looks like that's going to sell out as well. Um, and, and I think this is further indication of the health of the the national game. Uh, in terms of women's football. It's between Australia and the Republic of Ireland. I'm sure uh, there will be many uh, Irish expats or want to, you know, yeah. especially if it's in a major city in Australia, that they, they will be there. They will be offering support. Um, so I think that's, that's a really good story with regards to the, the 2023 World Cup. There's another story about which I feel slightly conflicted. And this is because... Um, the the FIFA 2023 Women's World Cup, uh, it's now going to have its main sponsor, is going to be the Saudi Arabian Tourism Board. Uh. Now, you know, given the you know, given the patriarchal society that exists in Saudi Arabia and the the lack of opportunities for women, it, it does seem somewhat inconsistent for the Saudi Arabian Tourist Authority to therefore sponsor the women's game yeah. at, at such a level. Now, you know, as far as FIFA is concerned, how big's the check? Thank you very much. Um, and th- they, they will have moved on. But uh, I'm, I'm sure some of the women's players are going, well, you know, what are the opportunities for women's yeah. football in Saudi Arabia? And, uh, you know, I, I must confess, I don't know enough of the details, but, uh, yeah, and and there has been... Uh, there has been forward movement uh, in terms of women's rights, but I, I think they've been glacial rather than rapid uh, in in terms of opportunities for women in the country. Mm, yeah, that's something to look at and discuss later on, I think. But in America, uh, more evidence, Kieran, that the global women's game is growing. Yes. Um, in in the, the, uh, the, the, the US football system, um, if you want to introduce a new city, a new team, um, and, and this is both in the, the, the MLS and uh, the, uh, the, the women's MLS as well, Major League Soccer, um, you have to pay what is known as an expansion fee. So effectively, it's it's the same as when you're buying any other franchise product. Um, you have to pay a, a sum of money to the franchise operator, and then they will give you the license. And, and that that applies, you know, you know, McDonald's has got some stuff out on franchise. And if, if I want to open a McDonald's store, somebody will have to go and pay McDonald's money and and so on. Um, and, and that's the way that it works. And it's and it's based on supply and demand. But it looks as if the, the there is still expansion in, in the Women's Soccer League uh, in, in the US, which is fantastic. But the next expansion fee is going to be $50 million. And that's... Wow. 
that's incredible. I think that is indicative of uh, the US sport being uh, quite a way ahead of of European women's football. And I think it's also representative of the way that uh, the development of women's football operates in in the states because you you've got the college system there you've you've got the draft system you've got the the, the sealed leagues um and therefore sort of the, the the pathway and development of the game is 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 more secure yeah and whilst i think uh, here you know the wsl has made huge progress um there is still uh, an inherent problem that you know we we talk about academy football but academy football in the uk is men's academy football you know the proper academies for for girls football in order for them to develop to become professional players really isn't there you know it, it is uh, it is still a long way behind and i think that's where the american game has an advantage but the fact that some investor is willing to pay up to 50 million pounds to I, th- I think we're looking at places like utah I, I can't remember the name of i think it's two potential cities is a sign of the level of confidence that there is in the women's game in the states um and that you know the the investors feel that it can it can continue to grow um and it is likely to be uh, a continued success over there before we go kieran with our usual goodbye and thank you I'm sure our listeners would like to join me in congratulating you, Kieran, in a remarkable achievement. Uh, I think we all know that you have two great aims in life. The first is to throw some light onto the murky world of football finance. And the second is to invent as many rude words as you possibly can. And and, and on the second one, Kieran, you, you've had, you had some great news this week. Yes, Um I am very childish, <laughs> um, as, as, as anybody would ever work with me. Aren't you supposed to be a professional? Um, and I, I do. I still have a love of silly, childish humour. So yes, this this week um, I have my forty third entry wow. in the Viz Profanosaurus. And for those of you unfamiliar with what the Profanosaurus is, it's it's a dictionary of smut and innuendo. Um, and uh, yeah, I I quite often you know I'll, I'll be walking Finley, and then then some a, a phrase or word will hit me, and I will try to develop it. And yeah, you know, and you're, you're a professional comedian. This comes second nature to you. I'm I'm not. I'm I'm a weirdo. You know, I'm um, when I got divorced, my wife actually said on the divorce papers, he's just odd. <laughs> And you, you try you try going before a divorce lawyer, said, a, a divorce oh, judge, and and it's is, is that illegal? And, and, after, and after five minutes, the judge said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, actually is." That's, and, and that's <laughs> you know, so so for me, this, this yeah, I am dead chuffed. Um, and so I've been submitting uh, uh, entries of of rude words and phrases to Viz magazine. I've been a subscriber for probably thirty five years. Um, at least, and uh, I've got my forty-third entry in the current issue. I'm—I don't want to repeat it on the family show because uh, uh, it wouldn't be appropriate. But yeah, I'm feeling quite chuffed. I—I I, I apologise for that outburst of laughter. It's very unusual for a comedian to laugh at anything that anybody else says. Um, but that's really, are you sure that being old is a legal concept, Kieran? Um, <laughs> thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution as well, and that would be very kind of you, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Monday with our weekly questions pod. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thanks as always to, to everybody for the support for the show, for interacting us in all of those different ways. And, uh, uh, it keeps us going. It, it, it does feel that you know when when we're just sitting uh, with our earphones on, just chatting away to each other, we have a great time. And you know, I've always said it's I'm, to, to work, and I'm not blowing smoke up Kevin's backside. To work with a professional, uh, a professional broadcaster and, and somebody like producer guy as well. For me, you know, I'm just a teacher. Uh, it, it, it's still I still have to pinch myself. But there's there's various other ways that you can 
you can support the show. And, and one of those ways is is to give us a review. We, Kevin and I, we honest, we, we don't quite understand how it works, but producer guy says helps in the algorithms, helps in the charts, helps with the reputation of the show and so on. Um, and you can give us a review, give us whatever you think we're worth. Uh, it doesn't matter what you say in the narrative. So you could even say you would rather have the show presented by two titans of the Northeast in Dan Byrne and Finbar Saunders <laughs> of Finbar Saunders and his double entendres <laughs> from Viz magazine, and it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference to yeah. us. Kieran, never, never say you're just a teacher. That's like saying you're just a nurse or just an ambulance driver. You're not just a teacher. It's a noble calling, Kieran. Oh, I'm, I'm dead proud. I've, I've, I'm dead proud to be a teacher, but I, whenever people want to take me down a peg or two, especially on social media, I get the, he's just a teacher, you know, those that can do, uh, those that can't teach comment. So that's sort of me saying hello to them. I'm for the